This episode of Speech Science is brought to you by Presence Learning. Are you ready to take back control of your career and get your life back in balance? Teletherapy offers a powerful career choice to let you practice at the top of your license with the flexibility and scheduling to adjust your caseload up or down as needed and the ability to serve a broad range of students or clients within a supportive community of professional colleagues like you. Hey, Matt, have you been doing teletherapy this past year? I have only been doing teletherapy with some of my students, but it is something that, you know, as I continue to have my children get older, I'm thinking, do I need to stay home more? And it would be nice to work from home. And teletherapy would give that option, right? Mm -hmm. To learn more about the benefits of teletherapy and join in the largest community of teletherapists, visit presencelearning.com and read their new blog post, Five Reasons for a Teletherapy Career. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. Just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 152. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist working in the schools and in the home healthcare settings with adults, joined as always by the executive functioning expert himself, Michael McLeod out in Philadelphia. What's up, buddy? What's up, Mike? And the pediatric expert, or at least that's what we're going to call you, Michelle, wintering down hey, in hey. Texas. She's a How pediatric expert. She yeah. can be. She oh, is. Well. Hey, if I can be a school... Can no, 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 no. <laughs> I meant that like if I can be the school's expert, you can be the pediatric expert. You're a yeah. podcast expert. I yeah. am hey, I got a decade of, of working with kids. I think that counts for something. That go. counts. That counts. Plus you have kids, so... Yes, that's true. Sold. That's it. All you got to do is have a kid. Oh. <laughs> and then a special guest host this week out of Madison, Wisconsin, working in the adult medical realm. It is Marie Severson. Hi, everyone. I'm not Did a master right? of anything, but I am a pretty good generalist. You, are, not an you have a master's in speech language pathology. Right. <laughs> we are all masters. Yeah. Well, that is what they, I, everyone's like. That I talked to, they're like, what would you tell new grads? And I'm like, take as many random classes as you can, because mm -hmm. you're going to get that random patient or student that loves the most random thing. And you need to have some background knowledge on that. Have Absolutely. a baseline. And also I, I always tell students now just to throw on top of that, Matt is, um, keep in touch with those people who are specialists in different areas, because how many yes. times have I messaged, emailed or texted or, or whatever contact I had Facebook messaged a classmate from grad school or an old coworker and been like, you know, this help me out. Hey, uh, I'm not going to lie. Rachel Madel from talking with tech who used to be our sister show. 
Uh, I sent her a message the other day because I had to write a article for AAC in the school setting. And I was like, Rachel, do I sound like a complete moron uh, in this article? And she went, nope, it's all mostly pretty good. And I went, I will take that as good enough for my school district. So I think that's two episodes in a row, Rachel. We're giving you a shout out. So you better be listening. Better give us free promos on your show. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, social interactions and how it can or cannot help our cognitive function as we get older. Also, we're going to look at uh, long COVID and the quote unquote brain fog associated with it, as well as our uh, shout out, our due process and the ASHA spotlight. But before any of that, we want to hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. It is brand new. I just spent a week getting it up to date and I removed all the old stuff on it. Uh, thanks to Michelle and Mike finding the nooks and crannies where the template had some random podcast information what on did there. it say that I was scrolling through it ours. and it said Floyd or something yeah, and gave yeah. a fake bio there's no Floyd on this podcast. A podcast and I was like oh is Floyd joining us now yes he <laughs> like, is but on that website there is a link to our discord so that's where our, our weekly discussions happen we've also got a link to the Pearson giveaway. So make sure you head on over there and sign up on all of that. So let's do it to it. Uh, I'm going to start from the bottom to the top. Michelle, how has your week been? Uh, A little bit more sickness in our house than I would like going on and off. Everyone has tested negative for COVID, but we've kept our distance from people as appropriate anyways. Um, And so far, that's kind of been the week. So I hope I'm not coughing too much over here. Oh, yeah. I've got that cough that just will not go away. And you have to tell everyone, you're like, I'm COVID negative. Trust me. This mm-hmm. is just some other illness that I'm giving you. Those tests yeah. aren't accurate, man. Hey, it I've taken true. it eight I know times. It's... I think it's accurate enough. About mm. well, eight? Yikes. So we're supposed to take it twice a week at my job. And okay. uh, just, you know, I, I work with like old people and I don't want to be the reason something bad happens in the like nursing home. So. Yeah, that, I, I understand that. But on a not speech note, I'm trying to get outside more and more and being, I'm trying to take advantage of being in central Texas and the not absolutely freezing temperatures. Um, we've had a few freezing days, but getting outside and hiking more is a family goal for us this year. And we've been doing it at least once a week since the new year. So. There you go. Yeah, when I left the gym this morning at like 6.15, it was like 12 degrees or 10 degrees, Michelle. I mean, we were in the 20s this morning, so it was cold, but not that. Terrible. I miss snow, though, and don't you have snow? No, it's just cold. No? Cold, brutal, terribleness, Ohio. Do you have snow, Marie? Oh, we've got lots of snow and lots of cold I figured. over here. I figured. Mm-hmm. Marie's in Wisconsin, yes. I'm in yes. Wisconsin and I woke up today and it was negative 13. So that was a good Ooh. way to start. You can come that to Texas. A, that is a <laughs> good segue. To. How was your week <laughs> with negative 13 degree temps? So I do a lot of home visits. So I'm in my car all day, every day, getting in and out of the car. And it's just I hope miserable. you have a good car for that driving. I do. I've got heated seats. It's my first winter with heated seats. They're wonderful. Ooh, nice. Yep. So it's been cold, busy, snowy. Um, I'm doing the dance with COVID, trying not to get it while everyone else around me is getting it. So same old, probably similar to everyone else. What type, of, what, what type of area do you uh, drive? Is it like a rural area, suburban? So 
Madison is a little bit of a city, but right on all the outskirts is a lot of rural roads. So I'm pretty much doing both. I'm in the city, but I'm also doing a lot of country roads. So a lot of different okay. kinds of road, road conditions. So a lot of travel time in between sessions. It can be, yep. Yeah, because that, that's what you tend to see is uh, like around me, like for my clinical fellowship, I did a lot of early intervention home visits and it was in like the city. It was in like low income urban areas. But I, the, the distance was short. But again, you're working in not the best environments. But, but you know, of course, people that do need our help and need our services. Uh, but, you know, and then you hear about other people that are in rural areas that are doing more driving than actual therapy. So it's really, uh, you know, a, a pro-con system. Like, really, which do you prefer more kind of thing? You got to have good podcasts and good audiobooks for all that driving. I just got that five audible credits this week. I was so excited. This is the time of year, though, I hate doing home care because like home care is my second job and your car warms up as you're parking at your next patient. You walk in, you get back to your car, it's cold, and then you drive to your next patient as it warms up, rinse, wash, repeat, and I don't bring my jacket into my patient's homes because, you know, that's another thing I got to keep track of. But I do like it in the summertime when everyone's stuck in an office and I am having lunch outside. The winds in your hair. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> the, the winds in your hair. So poetic. Mike, how has your week been out in Philadelphia? Are you watching any of the NFL games? By the way, Joe Burrow is going to the AFC Championship. Dude, all about Joe Burrow. But the Bengals are going to get destroyed against the Chiefs. Let's be honest. Just like they did 18 days ago. Oh, wait, no, they won 18 days ago. Yeah, well, that wasn't, you know, that was a that was regular season in Cincinnati. The Chiefs are unstoppable right now. This past weekend was one of the best football weekends in the history of the NFL. It was unbelievable. Every game won in the last second. Uh, yeah, so I had a great weekend uh, with the family, watching, the, watching football. I had some friends over, and the baby got to hang out with her baby friend. Uh, but it's a busy week. It's been a really, really busy week for speech. Uh, lots of trainings coming up, lots of travel. So uh, it's going to be a good time. Nice, nice. Uh, for my week, it's been the typical speech therapy week. So nothing too exciting to report from that standpoint. But I got a new desktop. So I'm struggle busing all the way through of getting the stuff off the old desktop onto the new desktop. It is better so that it'll record the shows a little bit nicer and edit them a little bit nicer but it's still a pain when you're so used to like i was just editing uh last week's episode and i was making the graphic and when i went to load it in it was like all these folders and files were not linked properly and i was like yeah <laughs> we'll just skip it i don't need it and then it came out like the most bland 1d like type of image and i was like oh i better go link all those images back in so you got to learn the whole formatting and everything again. It's like relearning when you get a new phone or when Apple out of forces you to update your iPhone. And you Was anyone else ever relearn. confused? Anyone else confused on the new Apple when they put like the uh, taskbar on for like the internet at the bottom versus at the top? Oh uh, yeah. They threw me off big I'm, time. Yeah. It's motor memory. Yeah. It forced me to finally person. do that update this last week. And I was not happy about it. I had to Google how to move it. Oh, you can move it. I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, I had to Google how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I had to Google tell me and I did it once. Never hey, doing it again. I, this could be a hot seat topic, but 
Um, this is why having hot, worked hot with take. AAC hot take for me is that <laughs> I tend to, with few exceptions, advocate for consistent locations on AAC devices. And there's too many devices and apps out there that move around the icons and kids mm -hmm. learn where they are. And that also comes from having worked with blind and, and visual impaired men too, that I'm like, stop moving things. Jeez. Well, that's <laughs> the idea behind uh, PRC's LAMP, the language acquisition through motor planning. Like mm -hmm. I know where Apple's located and I know where the color's red's located. So if I'm at the bowling alley, McDonald's art class, or talking to my grandpa, Red, Red is going to be in the same location. Yeah, yeah on, that, on, well, on most cranky PRC devices, most of them are all like one location because it's based yeah. on motor memory. Like, True. Yeah. Agreed. I think it's, so anyways, a, there you go. A, that's that's my good, hot take. Somebody can take. argue with me on that, but like stop moving locations on AAC devices. That's really for the not most non-SLPs, I guess. Like, <laughs> Everyone that was using a device, it. stop using it incorrectly. Support this. Right. Thank you. Well, on a positive, if you've got information about somebody doing something awesome, that's where the SS Pod shout out comes in. And we've got an SS Pod shout out that was sent to us uh, anonymously, but it's from K. It's from the news station KSWO uh, mm. down in Texas, or no, I'm sorry, in Lawton, Oklahoma. Uh, so this is a story out of Abilene, Texas, uh, and it was just a recognition of the therapy group uh, West Texas Rehab in Abilene, uh, working with a 11-year-old named Aviva uh, with Rett syndrome, who they were able to get a communication device, and it was in the news. So we wanted to give them a shout out because it was sent our way. Woo! Okay. So, wonderful. And way to go. Fun. I mean, the process, how many of you all, have you all done getting an AAC device, like going mm -hmm. through the process to get oh, that yeah. funded? Oh, yeah. Um, if you haven't and you're listening, don't let it intimidate you. There are a lot of SLPs who will gladly help you through that process, but it can be very intimidating. But when you finally get that device for someone, it's such a wonderful feeling. <laughs> it's so worth it. Yep. That is true. I've only done three and one of them, I had to go to court uh, to prove why my person needed it. And it was because it was the very first one I ever wrote. And in my trial device, I wrote, used an iPad running the program software. And they're like, well, then he doesn't, or the student doesn't need the dedicated device. They just need an iPad. And I was like, oh, they need all this other stuff. And the person in the court was like, well, if you would have just said they use the device trialing it, yeah, we'll pay for it. And I was like, okay, lesson learned. Not going to use the word iPad in any future reports. You're shaking your head, Marie. I mean, that's, I was just thinking of recently, I was remotely programming a page set for one of my clients with ALS and they have a dedicated device and I was doing TD snap on my iPad and it was, I couldn't, program it as well as I needed to, because I didn't have the eye gaze function. So it had different buttons on it. It's just, it's different, but those types, they don't, not everybody knows that. So it's True. important to, yeah. So if you've got an, a shout out, recognize somebody doing something awesome. Uh, the, a couple of weeks ago, we recognized the SLP on Jeopardy. We're recognizing a therapy clinic in Abilene, Texas. Hashtag it, hashtag it, SS pod shout out. On the flip side, if you've got a problem and you want us to solve it, what song was that? Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice. 
Yeah, thank you. There you uh, go. If you've got I'm a like, problem, you is, want to I solve feel like it. there's more to this. There we I, go. You know, it's just, I couldn't remember. It's <laughs> hashtag. Check out the hook where the DJ revolves. Thank there you. Hashtag we go. SSPod due process. And we'll bring it to the court of public opinion. And the three or four of us will decide on what you can or cannot do. And this week, after a nice run of some very serious topics, I thought we would use this one. This is a very light one. Uh, and this is cut from a, they want us to label them as a recent graduate student. How long should I keep my grad school books? Oh gosh, the age old question. After like the last couple of weeks of some serious topics, I thought this is one that we should address. It's fairly lighthearted. We shouldn't upset anybody. How long do you keep your, your graduate school books? I am in the process of... Every year to two years, I go through and I get rid of about a quarter of the books I have. So I mm. think I'm only down to about eight, maybe 10 of the books I've had since grad school. You know, I, I will be that person. I have a hard time getting rid of books, not just speech books, just books in general. But I give them, I, I've told you all, I, I started, especially with pediatrics, but instead of doing little trinket toys and stuff that I did for years as an SLP, I'm in Dollar Tree store. Do you hand them your anatomy and physiology book? <laughs> that would be funny. But <laughs> it's your page no on the books the in like general that I would get either books that oh. I was kind of moving out of my therapy room or um, uh, use gently used books and they get to pick a book at the end of an eval or uh, a period of therapy or something they're working towards. And the parents loved it. The kids loved it. And it forced me in a positive way to move, like to clear out some of the books and rotate things out. Um, so anyways, just throwing that out there as an idea for someone who's looking for a way to motivate kids and families and get more books into homes. So how are you going to get rid of your grad school books? How am I going to get rid of my grad school books? Every Here's CFY, how I'm going to get rid of them. Give them one of your books. Because every time I, the army forces my family to move, oh, yeah, good call. I go into wanting to just burn and throw everything away. So that is how I end up getting rid of things because I can't take it anymore. And some of the boxes just go away, but there's still a box in this closet in that corner over there. That is labeled Michelle's grad or college, whatever it's labeled stuff. And it is mostly notes because I will actually reference notes from classes that are labeled more than I will reference the textbooks. So I tend to keep um, notes or, you know, portfolio type things that I've made from different classes because I can use them as a quick reference if I'm going PRN into a nursing home or I'm picking up a client I haven't had that diagnosis in a while. I'm a bit of a book hoarder. <laughs> See, thank you. You're in my lane. Thank you. <laughs> Much to my husband's dismay, but I have a closet and it's my closet. So I get to put in there what I want, but I will say this. I think it's a good idea to get rid of them when it feels right. I think if you get rid of them too soon and you have any regrets, you're just going to always wonder if you would have used it. But I also think there's a lot of resources online now where it's really easy to get answers to questions. And maybe that wasn't the case three, four years ago to the same extent. So I could go either way. I only have two or three books in my office at school and the rest of them are located in a shelf behind me. And I think the only three that I have are a aphasia or an adult neurogenic like case study book. It, Michelle, do you remember the big yellow one that Dr. Holloway made us buy? Mm, I still have that, yeah. Yeah, I still have that one. 
Um, I have the, y'all might remember this. It was the blue, like speech therapy handbook or whatever for like new clinicians. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Is it like the like the treatment resource manual? Yes. Was it it was spiral bound? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes, I still have that one. Because Mm -hmm. I still use that like occasionally, like when I gotta take like a voice patient's like input, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna copy this document and then adopt it. And then the third one that I have, um, it is a what is it? It is like AAC case studies or something like that it's just another one of those random like marie you're right i can find a whole bunch of information online but finding case studies of stuff that did or did not work i can't ever get but i have a whole shelf over here of therapy books that i'm not using so Mm -hmm. maybe this is some inspiration to go through them every year i get rid of like a quarter of them that's a good system. Eventually, they'll all be gone, right? Right. I'm 10 years in now. So eventually, Mike, how, what, how, do you have any books left? Do you still have them? What? Uh, yeah, man. I got uh, well, right over here. I got Introduction to Communication Disorders. Uh, I got a bunch at my office. Uh, I probably don't ever open them or use them or <laughs> anything. They're probably more art at this point. Uh, yeah, I, pretty much online. You know, like if I have a question... Before I uh, open a textbook, I'm probably going to post it in a Facebook group, or I'm probably going to reach out to Matt Hot or someone who knows everything. <laughs> don't so, do me. Yeah, I you don't know, have those any sorts of things. So I'm not. I'm not going to be, you know, sifting through a textbook. I'm going to probably reach out to someone who had a similar client who's willing to help. And this network of social media SLPs is so huge and so helpful and so kind in terms of, you know, like, like I've, I've lost like testing manuals and I've messaged someone, Hey, does anyone have the gift to scoring guide? And someone wrote back to me within the minute and gave me the scores and gave me this like on their lunch break. Uh, so, you know, there's nothing better about being an SLP than the other SLPs. So do you have, um, any favorite, what are your favorite SLP groups that you're in Mike? Uh, speech pathologists at large is always great. SLP uncensored is always a good time. The speech science group. Uh, (laughs) speech (laughs) science is good. Uh, ADHD and executive function for SLPs is a good one because it's mine. (laughs) Uh, but speech pathologists, speech pathologists at large, uh, Meredith Harold's group, Dr. Harold's group is fantastic, obviously. Uh, yeah, I would say those. Uh, the, the school SLP ones is really good. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah. So That's, I mean, recent- I was just curious because I know people are always looking for, for ways to connect with other SLPs. So. I've had to pare down my social groups on Facebook because there's just too many of the same posts in too many different directions and too many of the same arguments by different people. I was like, eh, I'm done. So, <laughs> That's to the recent, the recent grad, between groups too. To the recent grad with your hashtag SSPod due process, we hope we helped. And if you are at home and you've got something that you want to send to the court of public opinion, you can email it or hashtag it SSPod due process or speech science podcast at gmail.com. All right, let's jump right into this first article. Uh, this first article is coming out of a newspaper in. Uh, South Asia labeled ANI. 
and the article title is Cognitive Function in Older People Might Improve by Socializing a Study. And Marie, you found the original article or the original study that looked at the important role of social interaction in cognition health in older adults, correct? I did find it. What was your biggest No, I mean, I got to pull my tab up too. I know. Like you can always tell when someone's like, yes, and I am looking for it. Someone say something. So overall, what they found was, what did they find? Who had frequent interactions with friends in general also had better cognitive performance on average than others. And so, they looked at same day, mm-hmm. like cognitive performance and um, next, was it next day? Or I, I got to look back how many how many days after they followed to see if that social interaction um, helped, you know, the longer effect. Yeah, they looked at their performance on those cognitive tests, also the residents' perception of the quality of their social interactions, which I thought was a really nice take on it because that's a patient-reported outcome measures are really important, sometimes more important than objective numbers. I love that you pointed that out. Thank you. But um, what, Marie, I know you had mentioned when we were kind of chatting before um, some things as I, I like the term yellow flags that you use, but uh, just like any research article, right? We have our, um, they always end with, well, we need to do more studies. Um, so I loved that this is, I have not seen one looking about looking at um, both of those factors, like the patient report and their perception of it and um, what, how they're actually doing on that cognitive performance test before. Maybe some of you had, but um, I, w- I was happy to see that that was both in the same article. I felt the same way. And I also felt, it seemed like they were, this was more of a study that they were hoping they could replicate. Um, and my hope was maybe they would be able to apply some of that to more functional cognitive outcomes, not necessarily just tests where you have to remember symbols and things like that. Um, but those are similar to a lot of the cognitive tests that we do. So, and we have to have objective numbers for something. That's that's what how the best research is done. But I think the idea of lack of socialization leading to cognitive decline is pretty well known. Um, but the idea of studying how socialization might improve cognition is a little bit more novel. Mm -hmm. That was my question when I was reading this was, wasn't this a whole lot of things that we already sort of identified previously in grad school or in other studies? And, and Mike, I would love to hear your opinion on this from the, the EF side as well, but don't we already know that the brain craves dynamic input and it craves high interest dynamic input. So if it's a kid and some kids are, they love social stuff, some kids hate social stuff, but we all know that they need that dynamic input. When we're working with an adult and they hate crossword puzzles and all they do is crossword puzzles, that doesn't help the brain. But if they love adult coloring books and all they do is color uh, butterflies, that doesn't help the brain. But if you can give them a social circle where everyone is coloring something together or the quilting groups or the card groups. Didn't we already know this, Mike, how's that, what is that input on the, the EF side? Yeah. So having that, uh, that, uh, preferred task, uh, and something that's already ingrained in the brain, something that's already experienced 
is a great way to initiate and build that starting motivation. Uh, but to really build executive functions and to really, you know, build those new neural pathways is we need to have varied experiences and new experiences and see other perspectives and try new things and not be doing the same thing over and over and over again, like we see today with screens and gaming and things like that. Uh, so, you know, bringing in, you know, starting with a preferred task and then transitioning to, uh, you know, smoothly to a non-preferred task or a novel task, a new task uh, is, a, is a great way to do it. Uh, and you described the social aspect of it is, you know, one way to, you know, help someone be more comfortable in a new and challenging task is to make it social and bring in peers and bring in that social aspect where people can be doing it around them, modeling with them and also encouraging them. Well, and um, Mike, I think you hit on something there that this seems like a more updated to mm -hmm. kind of answer your question, Matt, um, seems like they looked at all those studies, right? They, they said, we know based on prior research on social relationships, we know based on past research about increasing age that people tend to prefer um, closer social interactions, like just their close friends and their close family, because those are the most meaningful in older adults' lives. Um, and, but that actually would be counter to what you just said, Mike, of needing a new, like a challenging social interaction in some capacity. So I wonder if this is me just thinking, oh, what, how could we take this study further is, okay, if we start with how do these interactions, because they kind of focused on, um, you know, those close partners, not the peripheral partners, they even said, how could we expand that to see mm -hmm. if there's a difference um, co in cognitive performance based on peripheral communication partners is what they called it in the article versus well, those close and, relationships. Well, I mean, I've noticed this though, like when I'm working in the nursing home with adults, that a, uh, a person will have a fall or have some medical surgery where they have to go into the, the hospital or a rehab facility for a uh, extended amount of time. And then they're away from their family, they're away from their friends. They, their body has gone through such extreme stress that then when they come back into their original setting, everyone is super surprised that all of a sudden they're showing cognitive declines. And, and I'm always yeah. wondering if it's the stress or, you know, I mean, now I'm kind of wondering, is it also the lack of the social side? I think it's a combination of all of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't have the study on it, but I do remember discussions in grad school learning about, and, and I've seen it just clinically with my own patients. So I'm going to try to find an article. We can talk about this in the future, but um, that you'll often see a drop off or a plateau in language skills with children when they go through a surgery or they go through some sort of major growth spurt in another area, like a physical growth spurt. And, um, and to me, that almost kind of makes sense because your body is prioritizing what, um, what it can do at a given time. And then it'll pick up after that. But, um, but there tends to be a plateau when there's something else going on. And then when you remove that social circle, that trust, or as Mike, as you were saying, the, mm -hmm. the preferred people that they're communicating with. I mean, it's no real big surprise that we're mm -hmm. seeing a cognitive to regression. Yeah. Yep. Um, for those of you who click the link and look at this open source um, 
research article, I, I wanted to point out in the discussion and just give everybody listening that the present study, they, they say that they're the first to examine how different features of a daily social interaction, and they classified that as frequency, quality, and type of partner, um, how that relates to fluctuations in um, cognitive performance. And that was assessed with the multiple tests they gave, the cognitive tests in, in their natural environment where these people live. But um, overall, they had three primary findings. So I'll just give you those. First, having more frequent daily social interactions, especially more frequent daily pleasant social interactions related um, to better cognitive performance. And that was on the processing speed and the memory piece on the same day, as well as over the next two days. In contrast, performance on the mobile cognitive test did not predict subsequent changes in social interaction across days. The second result was that older adults who had an average um, more frequent interactions with close partners, especially their close friends, had better performance on mobile mm. cognitive tests um, on average than those who had less frequent interactions with their close people. Wow. Um, and then third, older adults who were relatively lacking in social interaction experiences. So they didn't have frequent interactions, pleasant interactions, or the interactions with family. Um, in general, they showed better to cognitive performance on days when they had more than usual of that type of social interaction experience. And so obviously they said they want to expand on this, but I wanted to highlight those three things because I thought that was pretty crucial for talking about the well-being of the older patients we're working with. Wow, that's that's that, this is a, this is a great article. This is that's really uh, that's really uh, some great information that can really be applied. Uh, you know, we're obviously you know what were the ages of these people? I've got to look at the ages, but this is a. Whew, let me pull it up for you real quick. 70, oh, 70 to ninety three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was a range, but it was old. They called it older adults, basically. So I would argue that these, we would see very similar results in young adults and teens. Hmm. Let's do a study, Mike. Let's do it. Seriously. I, I really, I honestly believe that these results would be the same across the lifespan. Mm -hmm. And so Matt, I think good, good find on this. And thank you to Marie for finding the, um, the long form open source. So we could all access that because um, on surface level, it does kind of seem like, oh, we already know this, but I think they took it a step further. And I hope that more research comes from this. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. You know, the, all of these tasks that we do, you know, there's, there's nothing really that triggers these pathways in the brain than, that, than social interaction. Uh, and this is why we're seeing so many, you know, we're, it, it, why I believe we're seeing these increased rates of executive dysfunction because you know we had the pandemic we had social distancing we have screens you know the lack that the play true play manual play risky play is declining social interaction declining uh and you know true varied experiences now because so many things can be done so easily instead of going to the store it's done on the phone the phone's replacing everything uh, a lot of, you know, we're seeing the skill decline kind of correlated. Mike, inadvertently, that is one of the best transitions that I think you've ever done on the show. And if you're at home, head Thanks, over man. to the website at speech science podcast, uh, speech science podcast.com. Check out the new website or speech science podcast at gmail.com and email us 
And when you're on the website, make sure you check out Presence Learning Giveaway. Mike, the transition I wanted to go into was in that second article from the Harvard Business Review. It says our brains were not built for this much uncertainty. You talked about how illness, screens, isolation, it is causing our brains to go all sideways. What are you guys taking out of this article for your therapy settings? Marie and the adults, Mike with the executive functioning, Michelle with the peds and I guess me with the middle school kids. What are we, what are we going to take away from this? Well, first of all, it's not just uncertainty. It's also anxiety and fear. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. about, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of lives lost uh, and sicknesses and uh, you know, a, a virus going around and where, you know, it's invisible uh, it's it's nerve wracking on adults. It's, it's even worse for a, a non fully developed adolescent brain. Uh, so it's not you know the un, the word uncertainty is is there, but it's so much deeper than that. And that and no, our brains are not built for that. Especially asking us to go about our lives normally, knowing that there is so much uncertainty. When and when is this going to end? When is this going to end? How much longer am I going to wear masks? Am I going to get sick? Is my vaccine going to work? Do I need to get vaccinated? This, that, all these questions, you know, it's, it's too much, it's too much uncertainty when we're dealing with something that is number one, invisible and number two, very deadly. And I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Marie, you do the home care side with adults. So, so this question is more for you, but Michelle and Mike, you can jump in on it. One of the things that I've noticed over the last year and a half, uh, two years with my home care patients is that the level of just depression has increased. And I don't want to call it patient clinginess, but like it used to be that when the session was over, I could say, hey, you know what? I look forward to our next session. I'm ready to go, you know, whatever. And it was like a clean break. And now when I'm starting to try to get out of my patient's home or their their room, they do everything they can to keep me there because I don't know if they've got anyone else to, to really communicate with. Mm, Yeah, Matt, absolutely. And it's a challenge because there's like, sometimes I feel like I have a little bit of guilt leaving as well. And I really want to help them. They don't really have anyone else to, to talk to about these things. And a lot of them, especially my elderly population, they don't necessarily know how to use FaceTime or Zoom or research online therapy providers. And I think that's a big challenge. And I have noticed a lot of what you talked about and um, just some of the, the questioning that I can't answer. You know, what do I do? I'm, I'm having a really hard time right now and I'm feeling so depressed, but um, I don't have anyone to talk to. I'm too afraid to leave because I'm not vaccinated. So I don't mm-hmm. want to go out into the community or um, my friends don't want to come visit me because we're afraid that we're going to spread COVID around. So that loneliness and the, the depression, the anxiety in combination with just the medical complexity they're already dealing with, they have already, especially like in home health or in any medical setting, really, they're dealing with um, processing the changes in their physical function or maybe their cognitive function or communication function. And that's coupled with being isolated from family and friends and not knowing when the end is in sight. And I think that's a particularly cruel component of what we're going through right now. Um, 
one thing that I have done that's been helpful is try to spend some of the therapy session in a therapeutic way, connecting people with resources. So making it a um, a, an executive functions task or a memory task or using it an external memory aid to help somebody uh, problem solve through accessing those resource accessing those resources. And I found that to be beneficial and therapeutic at the same time. Absolutely. And I, it ties, yeah, I know you already connected it, Matt, but it ties so perfectly with what we were talking about of that social interaction piece and how crucial that is for cognitive function. And I, what stood out for me in this, you know, short article from the Harvard Business Review was talking about our brain being uncertainty averse. It just is because we want things, our brain wants to find the easiest way to do something, right? Like to go on autopilot and the the example they give of, you know, driving home from work and ending up in your driveway and not remembering the drive. Um, And we don't, right now, in in pandemic and post partial pandemic that we're living in doesn't allow that for our brains. Side note, that is also the reason why people believe in conspiracy theories. Did you know that? Tell us the uncertainty. No, I was what this was I learned this like five years ago. So this was pre-pandemic stuff, but it was the idea that like the uncertainty that Japan caught us off guard at World War II and attacked Pearl Harbor makes people uncomfortable. But the idea that maybe there was a secret part of the government that let it happen or like the Kennedy assassination, it was one person feels very uncertain. Like, how could that happen? Where if you believe it's a CIA cover up, it makes you feel better. It gets rid of that uncertainty in the brain. So it provides supposed Mm. certainty. Yeah. Yep. So there were conspiracy theories before COVID. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh. This is not new. Bigfoot, aliens. Well, actually, no. Anyway. JFK. But no, like, I I think this is such a, like, I've even noticed this with my students. My one student loves old VHS stuff and like old tech and over the pandemic, the parent of that student was telling me about how all they would do is go to Goodwill and try to buy old electronics just to give that student a sense of normalcy in a completely uncertain time for a kid transitioning from youth to young adulthood. Yeah, So absolutely. That's cool though. So this made me think of, um, I'm going to pull up an article we can link to, but do you all remember, uh, I remember learning this in a child development class, but about a study, um, gosh, it was uh, in Montreal, I believe, about the ice storm there in a uh, major ice storm in Canada and the late 1990s. And um, a researcher was already um, studying pregnancy and ended up following these children of they were in utero during that study during that freeze where people were out of power for weeks at a time and um and found you know 20 years later they followed these children for 20 years it's a longitudinal study um to see what um you know what changes there were Mm -hmm. like how that impacted their um, their body physically, their growth, their development, their um, other diagnoses they might have. And they've seen a lot of 
a lot of things. And now she, I know that researcher, I'm going to find an article that we can link to, but I know that researcher um, also has uh, jumped onto other situations where obviously they don't seek that out, but if there is a, a, a tragic situation, then I think a global pandemic would count. I wouldn't be surprised if she's probably researching, you know, babies like our kids who are, oh. who were born during, um, during a pandemic. Yeah, we'll throw the link down in the uh, the show notes there, Michelle. Yeah, let me find it for you. All right. While she's doing that, head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Marie, you are our special guest host or special guest co-host this week. Tell us a little bit about you while we are transitioning into our last article. Kids, family, where'd you go to grad school? So I am from Milwaukee originally, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I went to grad school at UW-Stevens Point. Um, I don't have any kids, but I do have a cat, and her name is Annie. Nice. Um, I am a a pretty dedicated healthcare SLP. I've always done the medical settings. I've done pretty much all of the medical settings. Um, I own an adult-focused private practice, which I really like, but I also work in home health and acute care and inpatient rehab. Um, I also like to volunteer in many different organizations that are speech therapy related. And on my state convention or my state association as well. Um, I really, I really like cooking and baking and working out and hanging out with awesome. friends and reading, just like, you know, the basic, well, we- the basic hobbies, nothing really too exciting. What well- is your favorite? Um diagnosis or patient to, to work with? Like what gets you really excited as an SLP? That's a hard question. I find yeah. I am, I'm sort of in the stage where I think everything is exciting still. Um, this, is good. this is good. I know I'm kind of like, when is that bubble going to burst? But so far it hasn't. I really enjoy working with patients with dysphagia just because I think that it, there's a lot of education opportunities there. And I like to talk about dysphagia. So there's that opportunity there often. And I think that it, it makes a very like tangible difference in, in people's quality of life, especially because people really enjoy eating and eating is so important. So, um, but pretty much everyone I see, I just really enjoy working with people in general and helping, helping identify whatever their personal goals are and then seeing them achieve them, which is like why we're all doing this, I think. But so- Nice. You know, well, but sometimes awesome. we got to be reminded of it. Like what, yeah. <laughs> you know, Girl. what drives that? Well, we are glad that you are guest co-hosting with us this week. And that is a terrible transition, but we are still going to use it into our last article for today. Uh, this one is coming out of the medical news today. Uh, it's talking about long COVID, uh, the antibodies in the cerebrospinal fluid linked with brain fog. Uh, and I know I said in the Facebook group, I, you know, I can talk about what it feels like to go through that crazy brain fog. Michelle, Mike, and Marie, if you want to to feel free to say anything, did any of you have, I forget, did any of you have COVID? And then did any of you have that same experience with the brain fog before we jump into the article? Um, I think if people have been listening for the last couple of years, they would know that I, I and my family... We, oh, my family right. and I all had had COVID in July of, of 2020 and know we got it for sure from um, my son's well child visit 
at his pediatrician because oh, yeah. um, they called us to let us know and we all had it a week later um and we were down for the count pretty pretty hard at home thank goodness um and i was pregnant with my daughter who is now a year old at the time so um for me i know matt you had had you've had longer symptoms since you had it for me i've ever since i've had a hard time weeding out whether you know my fatigue and some of this brain fog that i felt like i was having for months after having covid was covid was covid combined with pregnancy was covid combined with pregnancy giving birth having a toddler moving across the country like there's there's a lot of factors that for me i can't quite um you know pair it out but um i do know compared to my husband for example who also had it when i did um i had a lot more symptoms I think could be connected to that longer term. Wow. I've never had it. At least I don't think I have. And then Marie? I'm with, I'm with you, Mike. I haven't had it either. And I'm just waiting for my date with COVID. I just feel like it's coming for all of us and I hope not, but it just seems inevitable at this point. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the waiting is really, maybe it's hard. It's like, I know it is. I'm just kind of waiting for it, <laughs> doing everything I can to prevent it, but well, I noticed like after I had COVID, the like brain fog or the cognitive decline was hardcore. Like I would sit there and it would take me, typically it takes me like 10 to, you know, once I have an idea for an IEP goal, five to 10 minutes to knock out an IEP goal, it was taking me an hour to write a goal, not like a whole segment, just the goal. Um, I had to pare my caseload down with my adults from like 15 to like 11, just because I or like 11 visits a week, because I could not keep straight who I was seeing at what time I wasn't updating my calendar to keep, uh, like my schedule, right. It was nuts. And I would say that it lasted until about October or November of 21. And I got COVID in December of 20. Oh my God. Damn, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If uh, that also may explain why we didn't have a whole lot of episodes, because I was like, yeah, I don't remember if I need to do an episode this week or not. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys, guys for checking talk. in on me. <laughs> no, it's been, uh, I, I, I've met more and more people who've experienced long term. Uh, well, symptoms. and the PTSD SLP, Rachel or Shambaugh, she also mm -hmm. has the long COVID. Yep. And but it's the brain fog. I've, mm -hmm. I've had people who've talked about hair loss, um, which I'm so I've, good. Yeah. You're good there, which I've heard that that can happen. I know that's a medical thing that can happen from any stressful experience. So like physiologically stressful or mentally stressful well, experience. So, so it makes sense to me that that could be a byproduct of of having covid so this new article from medical news today they talk about how uh, individuals with higher number of pre-existing cognitive risk factors such as diabetes anxiety depression were more likely to develop post-covid cognitive symptoms including uh if i read it correctly they said swelling of part of the brain tissue is that what i read in here I know they mentioned that previous studies have shown that there, if you have elevated markers for autoimmune or, or immune, um, like an immune system response that has been associated with brain inflammation. 
Sorry, I'm pulling that up. I was trying to find it. Oh, here we go. The presence of antibodies in the cerebrospinal fluid indicates activation of the immune system, just like what you were saying, and inflammation in the brain. Furthermore, the co-occurrence of these proteins in the serum sample suggests that these abnormalities could potentially be due to an inflammatory response in the entire body. So how does this affect what we're expecting on the caseload side from the adults, from the youth? You know, when we look at post-COVID world, we've already talked about the impact of post-COVID dysphagia. Now are we going to talk about post-COVID cognitive therapy? And I, yeah, that's a tricky one. And I think that Mm -hmm. um, the, I think the bottom line I got from the article was that the study didn't necessarily prove that a COVID infection caused Mm -hmm. these symptoms, but there's no way to parse out if it's the psychological stress related to the pandemic or actually just having COVID versus having the virus itself. And I think because of that, if we take a, a counseling approach and we're educating our patients on, it's possible that you're experiencing these symptoms, really validating their feelings. If, if you know they're having these long COVID symptoms, the last thing they want to hear is, well, there's not research to support that that's <laughs> happening, but mm-hmm. more so, hey, I've heard of this happening to other people and let's find some strategies to help you feel less stressed about it. Or, you know, and just using all of your cognitive therapy tools, I think in the same way with that added piece of counseling on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right by validating that they're experiencing these symptoms and not downplaying it because I, we want to be evidence-based, but there hasn't been enough time for there to be longitudinal studies mm-hmm. about this. I mean, we're talking, we're in year three and that, that is long relatively, but, um, but it's hard to say we have all this evidence because we don't yet. And then also when you're doing your case history, at least in this study, it over half, now this was a small study, but over half of the individuals that had these challenges also had pre-existing depression mm-hmm. or anxiety. So knowing that that's a risk factor when you're doing your chart review is another way to just at least be expecting the conversation to come up and be prepared. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I was going to say, I do not have the prehistory of anxiety or depression, but the diabetes part. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah. makes sense. It fits. <laughs> it fits. That's always like the, the research therapist part of me reading this. I was like, this is really interesting and validating. And then the, you know, having lived through this, I was like, man, it doesn't help knowing why it sucked. Just. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Oh, we want to hear from you though, at home. Are you seeing a rise in patients due to COVID or cognitive, or did you have COVID and you're noticing any of this uh, as a therapist? We'd like to hear your inside. So, or insight, head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. On the flip side of the break, we check in with the informed SLP. We also will come back with our ASHA spotlights and we will wrap this baby up. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, 
keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. Eat more gummies for oral health? You don't have to tell me twice. This is a review of The Effect of Hard Gummy Candy Chewing on Masticatory Function from the Journal of Oral Rehabilitation. Many older adults begin to naturally gravitate towards softer foods as they age for a variety of reasons, including some expected age-related changes. Diminished occlusal force, or the strength of biting and chewing, naturally declines with age and can be a result of poor dentition, reduced bite support, sarcopenia, and or disuse atrophy. These all play a part in oral hypofunction, which, if left unmanaged, can quickly evolve into oral dysfunction. This opens the door to nutritional decline and the slippery slope of other medical issues that often follow. Researchers in this study examined a training program aimed at improving occlusal force and overall mastication performance. The authors wanted to explore the use of a real food item that was meant to be chewed and swallowed, unlike some previous studies which only examined chewing a non-nutritive item or items that were subsequently expectorated, which doesn't exactly mimic functional eating behavior. They chose customized gummy candies, my kind of study, which participants chewed and swallowed three times in a row, three times a day for a total of 15 minutes per day, three times a week for three months. Call it the holy trinity of candy consumption. After three months, participants showed significant improvement compared to controls in occlusal force, tongue pressure, and masticatory performance, as measured by instrumental devices. Outcomes were maintained one month after the training program. It should be noted that the study was done with young, healthy participants, not older adults or patients with oral phase dysphagia. So hold off before you go giving a bag of Haribo Twin Snakes to your long-term care resident on a pureed diet, by far the best gummy candy in my humble opinion. However, this study may open the door for more evidence that endorses trialing functional, nutritive items with patients with dysphagia. Additionally, a proven program involving chewing and swallowing inexpensive gummies could be both cost-effective and easy to train across many care settings. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to eat this entire bag of snakes. Erm, I mean, work on my occlusal force. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. When you choose teletherapy and join the Presence Learning Network of speech-language pathologists who serve students remotely in schools nationwide, you get to decide how much and when you work. You protect yourself and your family during these uncertain times, take back your commuting and your drive time, and join a network of peers for support and collaboration. Matt, when you've been doing teletherapy, what's been a big benefit for you? I think the ease of getting my students into the, the teletherapy room 
without having to traipse all around the school building or making individual calls and trying to find out where my students are and just kind of have them all show up together. I know for me, it streamlines a little bit of that in-between time when I'm rushing to get a patient or a student. Mm -hmm. And instead, I kind of manage my own paperwork and goals and can hop right on with the next patient. Now, this episode number 152 of the Speech Science Podcast is brought to you by Presence Learning. To learn more and apply, visit presencelearning.com and click on the apply button at the top of the page to start your new career today. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 152. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always from Texas, Miss Michelle. Hi, Matt. I almost forgot what state. I'm That's sorry. okay. I, I, I lose track of what state I live in. And from Pennsylvania, Mr. Mike. What's up, dude? Hey, buddy. And finally, someone from the great north, wait, great white north from Wisconsin, Miss Marie. There's a lot of white snow here. Hello, hello. So uh, I was listening to a buddy tell a story the other day, and he was talking about last year, and he lives in a part of Wisconsin, like north of Madison. I don't know what that means, but. Like, I'm sure you probably understand, Marie. And uh, he was saying that he found a dead, like, raccoon in his yard. And he threw it out into the street, like, thinking that, like, some animal would come and, like, eat it. Like, whatever. And I guess overnight, they got, like, snow. So then it got buried. And then they got more snow. And then when the snow melted... It was ice, and he had to look at this dead animal frozen in the ice on the concrete. Is that like a normal Wisconsin thing? I don't think so, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) That is, oh my goodness, that's a fascinating tale. (laughs) I can't say I've ever experienced anything like that, but I think it, it just, I like how Matt's like, is that what all of you experience? Do you guys all do that? Well, first of all, there's a lot of north from where I am. Um, and I think it, your friend's story just speaks to what happens when we get all the snow here. We all just kind of turn everything off and, and, and just close our eyes and hope it goes quickly. And then everything melts and um, we come back to life. So except for the <laughs> raccoon. I like that. Yeah. He was like, yeah, it just was stuck in the ice for like most of the winter. And I was like, oh my God, dude, you like, you're what? It's so relatable though. <laughs> Is it really up there? Cause like here in Ohio, the ice lasts for about three days. And then it's gone. Nope. We got lots of ice here and it stays, but it's going to get a little warmer next week. So maybe we'll have a little melting. A little warmer. Will you be in the positive degree at all? He will be. It won't be above freezing, but it'll be warmer by comparison. See, Ohio, man, it's where it's at. I'm telling you, or Mike in Pennsylvania, we're kind of on that same level. True. I'm feeling tempted. See, I'm telling you, it's a good part of the state or a good part of the country. Oh, this part of the show is called the ASHA Spotlight. It is super easy to pinpoint what is ASHA doing wrong because we pay them and sometimes we feel like they are not doing enough, but it is also a good time to point out what they are doing right. And last week we made a, we made a point to explain that they are taking nominations for their board of directors and that is still going on. But this other part is that we wanted to bring attention Uh, to their online conference that begins February 2nd through the 14th. It is the reading, writing, and the SLP preschool to high school. So they've got a whole bunch of different uh, sessions happening. 
talking about the integral member of the school literacy team, uh, the reading, the SLP's role in curriculum and reading, uh, oral narrative language. Uh, let's see what else is there. Literacy, literacy, a couple literacy articles and some cultural competence, which is always super important. I just took an ASHA course today, actually. Ooh, what did you take it on? It was the 2022, the billing and coding update for Medicare. Fascinating Nerd. topic. <laughs> yeah, very nerdy. It was well, good. But you own a private practice though, correct? That's right. So it matters. So what is the big takeaway that worries you from the changes? And then what is something that you are okay with that you think maybe is a positive? Well, I'm encouraged that the Medicare cuts that were supposed to happen at 10% are more toward two to 3%. So that's encouraging as a business owner. That's great. Um, I'm a little nervous about teletherapy. I think it would be great if speech therapists were on that, that prize list of of um, providers that can provide teletherapy and be reimbursed by Medicare. Yes. And is that now quick question on that? Cause I was scrolling through them. Um, So speech, are we still on it for the pandemic? Yes. One are. Okay. Yes. Once that public health emergency ends in April, if it's not renewed, Medicare won't reimburse any longer Mm, for teletherapy. Okay. Okay. That'll probably be re it'll probably be renewed, right? I've never wished for that to be renewed. It feels a little bit uh, strange to wish for the PHE to be renewed, but people really need those telehealth services. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're right, it, because it seems like we're wishing for the pandemic to continue, right. but um, we really just want speech to be permanently on that, regardless of a pandemic. Well, and it's interesting because of the pandemic, we are finding ways to get therapy into the hands and the families and the homes of people that really need it, that probably even without a pandemic, maybe would not have gotten the therapy that they needed. I know, Mike, we go back and forth joking about your teletherapy uh, history. Michelle, we know you've done some teletherapy. Marie, are you doing any teletherapy? I am doing teletherapy. Okay. Are you in state or out of state? In state. Okay. Is Wisconsin part of the, the pact, the state pact yet? I don't yeah. think it's official. I got to check the list. I don't know if it is. Michelle was checking the list. She is, uh, she's excited because Man, it is all the I'm states trying. that she's lived in. Uh, no, it's not all the states. Texas is still not on it. Oh yeah. Well, Texas on, has Texas. their own like power grid. They're not going to well, join the, Texas they're not going to join some multi-state pact for speech therapy. They can't join the multi-state <laughs> pact for electricity. <laughs> Sorry. Just say so. Okay. So you do do teletherapy though. Yeah. And it's been for specifically for people that really can't get out to a clinic. So just the need for it has been made very apparent to me and I hadn't done it before the pandemic. And it's, I think we've just sort of zoomed right into the future. This is the future. (laughs) The laws just haven't caught up yet. Right. Kicking and screaming. That's what they always say. That's how it happens. All right. Well, If you liked what you heard, let us know. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Also, make sure you check out the website. Uh, There is links up there for merch and also link to our Discord. And then, Michelle, what's the big giveaway with Presence Learning? Uh, With Presence Learning, it is a year of access to their platform called Therapy Essentials. So they have opened their... Um, platform that they use for teletherapy and have 
you know, refined over 20 years of doing teletherapy for in school districts and large settings. And they are opening that up as a platform to individual therapists and private practices. So there you go. Check out Therapy Essentials. And also, if you liked our show, make sure you rate and review us. The more reviews you give us, the higher we climb the charts, more people can find out about our show. So let's end it like we always do. Let's look at the week ahead. What are we looking forward to that is not therapy related? Uh, I am going on a retreat with my eight-year-old this weekend. So, Ooh, what kind of retreat? Where is it? I don't know. It's at the church and it's like a couple of hours. Uh, He's going through, Okay. okay, so we're Catholic. He's going through his first reconciliation or penance and first communion. So it's like a little two and a half hour retreat on that one. So uh, that's great. I I don't know what we're getting into. I'm just kind of excited to spend two and a half hours with the boy. Uh, But, you know, who knows? I may come out of it not enjoying it, but I'm excited for that. So Michelle, what are you excited about? Um, Well, one of the things that I'm trying to actually do this year is read more. So we were talking about books earlier. So um trying to you know get some more books on my reading list i'll take any recommendations um and that also means getting to the library we go with my kids but i'm gonna be getting myself a book each time we go that is my goal so american gods by neil gaiman okay i'm adding it to my list so Um, (laughs) here's the story of it michelle or mike marie have you heard of american gods i have not tell me nope okay so uh in this story Uh, It's also a show on Showtime, by the way, or yeah, Showtime. But in the story, all the gods throughout history are real and their power comes from the amount of people that support them or believe in them. And so it's like, you know, you've got Thor, you've got Odin, you've got uh, like money or greed and whoever in like in America, the most popular one would be like the capitalism one. And those are the American gods and the old gods from Europe are trying to fight for more power. Yeah. That's how Santa Claus works, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) That sounds really interesting. (laughs) It's actually a really good book. And uh, it talks about the story of one person trying to navigate the, the universe. It's Neil Gaiman though. So he's a comic book writer, but I enjoyed it. All right, now I'm adding it to my list, you know. I got to work through these things. Had you all heard of, did we talk about on uh, the podcast before we might have, but I think it was called Books by the Foot, but that they're this company that bulk sells books for people and it's to fill libraries, you know, um, or bookshelves, but that they had a bunch of individual sales go up during the pandemic because of uh, people on Zoom meetings wanting to look their, make their offices look more curated but they'll even do a curated bookshelf for you like send you books that will make you you know look legit dude one of my (laughs) favorite i took a class in college called the history of the holocaust and one of my favorite books is now on some banned book list uh it was called mouse by arch spiegelman so that's another one michelle throw that on yours okay arch spiegelman it got that on my mouse. bookshelf, actually. Yes. Ooh. Marie, they banned it because of the, uh, there is a one curse word in the book. And that's why they said they banned it from the whole school district. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mike, have you read it? I have not, but I curse a lot. <laughs> and Marie, you've read it, or is it just on your bookshelf? Now, it is just on my bookshelf. However, the goal is to read it. 
Oh, it's so good. I loved it as a book. I mean, it's weird to love a book in the Holocaust class, but it was so like touching. So on a positive, Mike, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, Definitely watching the football games. Uh, Non-therapy related. Yes. Uh, Spending time with the baby, man. There you go. And then Marie, where can people find more about you? And what are you looking forward to this week? non-work or therapy related? Well, I just have to get out of town. It's tough in the winter. There's not a lot to do, but we're going to try to get out of town and see some friends. Um, Of course, pending negative COVID tests as with everything. Um, But it's just nice to maybe get a different, a change of scenery. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm on Instagram. I don't do a whole lot on social media too much, but I'm there. Sometimes I post about my day. Um, and it's Marie underscore medical SLP. If you're interested. We will link that as well. Our opening music today was the, I'm sorry, our opening music, our intro music. I am so off today, y'all. That fog, man. Yeah, man. Our intro music is please listen carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. The bump music was County Fair Rock copyrighted John Deku. He is married to an SLP. So check out his other music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. The informed SLP used at the count by broke for free license under a creative commons attribution license. And the closing music playing right now, the slow burn by Kevin McLeod licensed under a creative commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong, but under the slightest bit of pressure, an oak will snap, the willow will bend and return to form. So for fellow willows, Michelle, Mike, Marie, I'm Matt. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Thanks for having me. Episode number 152 of the Speech Science Podcast was brought to you by Presence Learning. Michelle, one of the things that we as therapists love doing is connecting with other therapists, right? That's probably one of my favorite parts of being an SLP. Right. And that can happen in the teletherapy world. Are you ready to join thousands of clinicians who have turned to teletherapy to serve students while building a flexible career to meet their own needs? Join Presence Learning Network and work with a community of speech language pathologists and a support team that cares about you and the children you serve. You would be working with a bright, energetic group of people who are committed every day to opening up access to services for students and making a lasting impact in the world. So don't wait. Visit PresenceLearning.com. Click on apply as a clinician at the top of the homepage. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.